Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk Radio. Uh, 
were, were simply not true. So breaking up and waking up are actually very similar. So here's the lyrics. This is the waking up lyrics. Waking up is hard to do. You slept all night. Now it's morning time. Don't you cry. Don't be blue. Waking up is hard to do. Now notice he says that you slept all night. In other words, you can't wake up unless you were first asleep. And so he's telling this person, don't you cry. Don't be blue. Waking up is hard to do. Instead of going back to bed, don't go back to sleep. You got to stretch and face the day. Rise and shine. Your dreaming is through. Waking up is hard to do. And so it's exactly the same when it comes to your health. When it comes to becoming aware of how you believe things that were not correct. One big thing to get over, of course, is just the embarrassment and the humiliation. It's important, I think, to just totally dispense with that and say, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. Uh, I believe what I believed. Now I believe something different, and that's it. I'm moving forward. Now, in my particular life, one big turning point happened at the age of five. And that's when I turned on the, uh, or somebody turned on the TV, the news. Actually, I never developed the authority to turn on the TV or off the TV or change channels until I was pretty old, actually, in my late teens. So the TV was already on. And the news lady said, this is news channel, blah, blah, blah. This is news you can use. And that really stuck with me. And not that the news was useful or anything, but when I got news, I had an obligation to put it to you. Say, okay, I've got this information. What can I do with it? How can I adjust my actions or my beliefs in a more positive way based on this new information? So I had from the age of uh, five, probably a little earlier, the perspective that any information I received uh, I had an obligation to put it to use. So I kind of started out with the assumption that at the uh, age of five or so, that there's a lot of stuff I didn't know and a lot of stuff maybe I thought I knew and I was always looking for new information to try and update my data files with more accurate stuff. And so I always had the perspective that um, it's okay to wake up or really to be awake. And, and I was always very excited uh, and looked forward to, to growing up and trying to get things right or, or to focus on what was really going on, whatever that might be. So as always, we've got to get definitions. We've got to know what we're talking about here. So what does it mean to, to wake up? Well, according to uh, Webster's Online Dictionary, it's awaking or being awakened to wake after sleeping. Okay, means you, you were asleep. And that to me was like seriously vague and I could not get any clarification on that side of the hop. Let me take a look at the opposite of awake. And that would be, of course, asleep. And if you look deeply for asleep, you're going to find unconscious. Unconscious is in a condition similar to sleep in which you do not see, feel, or think. Very good. A similar condition, similar to sleep, where you do not see, feel, or think. And a synonym to asleep is oblivious. And now we've got, this is where the meat of the matter is. To be out of touch with something, not know the first thing, not have the first idea about something, have no concept of something, lose touch with something, not have a clue, be no judge of something, not be any of the wiser, and be unconscious of something. Okay, so oblivious, again, relates to unconscious. And then the other thing is, uh, another synonym for it is ignorant, unacquainted, unknowing, unsuspecting, which is important, unsuspecting, unfamiliar, uninformed, lost, hazy, illiterate, ill-informed. And then, of course, we have uh, the word then is ignorant. 
That means not knowing something that you should know or that you need to know. So unsuspecting is important and not knowing something that you need to know. Also unacquainted, which means no knowledge of something. Um, not knowing what kind of situation you are involved in, for example, because someone has tricked or cheated you. And this is really pertinent to, to medicine because doctors are seriously uninformed, seriously tricked, seriously um, cheated. Um, they enter medical school unsuspecting, and this state is transferred also to the patient, not only by the doctor, but by the media, by um, public education, um, and by many different avenues. Not knowing about something that's happened, happening or will happen, um, unfamiliar, if you're unfamiliar with something, you have no knowledge of experience of it, uninformed, without knowledge or information about something, and lost, unable to understand something because it is extremely complicated. And hazy, if you're in a haze about a particular subject, you don't know or understand much about it. And illiterate, lacking knowledge in a particular subject, and ill-informed, showing a lack of knowledge on a particular subject. So I'm going to share with you times in my life where I have been oblivious to asleep and the painful process of awakening. Now, some of these cases, I didn't wake at all. I just slept right through it. And I'll give you the example where I just slept right through it. The first uh, incident in terms of health where I was just totally oblivious was when I was in college, my freshman year, and I'd gotten uh, rather sick. I got so sick that I couldn't get out of bed. It was a respiratory illness. I was coughing and I was sputtering. And I was pretty confident that I would live through it. But I was coughing and sputtering and couldn't get out of bed because I was just so weak. And so, of course, um, friends of mine came to my bedside and everyone offered all kinds of interesting information. And I thought it was very nice of them to even show up. I felt really honored that, that my fellow Harvard classmates would come to my bedside. And of course, I had only one request. Buy me two cups of yogurt, blueberry flavored, please. And I even had the money. Without then a dollar bill, bought two uh, cups of yogurt. And so uh, the person I handed the money, she said, well, you know, dairy causes mucus. And this is not going to be helpful, I don't think, for your condition. I look at the person and I say, well, you know, be a good friend and uh, go get me the yogurt. Totally oblivious and went right by me. I did not even absorb that piece of information. And uh, <laughs> as someone in the chat hold the aspartame. Absolutely. I only took mine with the real stuff, the sugar. Um, so that went right by me. Um, the second opportunity to wake up occurred again in college. This time, uh, my grades are great, everything's going really good. Um, I was applying to medical school. It was, uh, I think I'd gotten my first acceptance letter. No, it's before my foot that. I, um, I took my medical entrance exams and did very well on them. So it's obvious I was going to medical school. So I decided that I, it was time for me to get my plan together. Because I wanted to go back to the ghetto where I grew up and start medical practice and help people have a better quality of life, live longer, and have a better, have a better lives. That was my goal. Of course, accomplishing this through providing health care and being a doctor. So I went to the library and searched and searched and searched and searched and could not find a single reference that indicated medical care was of benefit to anybody, let alone a population. And I actually got two books out that were very clear, and they said that healthcare does not, absolutely does not improve the overall longevity and health of any population. Well, that could be a, a real wake-up, and that really um, stopped me in my tracks, temporarily, of course. And so by that point, I was pretty well into things. I was three years into Harvard. I said, well, okay, let me take a look at this. Maybe when I go to medical school, I'll learn something useful. I said, but 
if this really isn't going to be as useful as I think it's going to be for my patients, then I'm not going to borrow money to go to medical school. And so what I did is I went right back to sleep and made a mitigating decision. So I was like, okay, maybe this is the case, maybe it's not the case, but just in case it's true, I won't borrow any money to go to medical school. All right, then I arrived in medical school. Medical school, I saw what could only be described as torture. And this is patients, grown people, yelling and screaming as needles were plunged into their bodies. And um, that for me was, was, was a wake up, like, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, 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 this is not right. Now, what I did not take into account was the special lecture we medical students were given, indicating that we were not like regular people. We could do things that other people would be arrested if they did. So we had special powers and special privileges. <laughs> but I said, no, 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 I'm not buying that. People are people. This is torture. And so I told myself, I did not have to do that when I became a doctor. Okay, I'm right back to sleep. And obviously, if I had waking up, I would have said, man, I'm out of here. I'm not going to stay in this house of torture and horrors. So I, I just I told myself I didn't have to do that when I became a doctor. And actually, I didn't. And medical school, also, again, I saw that the therapies were not providing relief. People were not getting relief. They were coming back again and again and again. And so, of course, medical school uh, instructors had a uh, nice excuse for me. One, the patients were not compliant. And two, even if they were compliant, they might be receiving the 50% of care that's not effective because it's based on information that's not accurate. And of course, there's always more research. And if I drop out of medical school now, I won't be able, I won't be there when that superior research is available. I won't be able to give the improved and better relief. And so I said, okay, all right, I'm going to get through this. And the other thing that really should have worked me up, but didn't, was I, I graduated from medical school, I finished my first year of residency, and I decided, aha, now I will serve my obligations to government. So government paid for three years of my medical school, and I had an obligation to pay them three years of uh, working in a remote area of the United States where you could not even pay people to work. So... I decide I'm going to do the right thing. I promised I would do this, and I'm going to fulfill my obligation. And so I uh, get a letter from the government saying, you are in default of your obligation because we don't have your address. Now, mind you, they mailed it to my correct address. It was not forwarded. It went straight to my correct address, and I opened it. You are in default. Please pay immediately $250,000. Now, Straight out, this is simply an extortion play, just an attempt to extort money from me, is all. They said they would pay for my education, which they paid uh, $40,000, and in exchange for that, I would agree to work in underserved areas. And that was the agreement. And so they decided that they would default on their part by declaring me in default and saying, no, we're not going to let you serve your obligation. We're not even going to give you a list of places where you can serve. We just want a quarter of a million dollars from you. Again, I was totally oblivious, and I said to myself, ah, oh, it's a mistake. Government's good. Government's my friend. Must be an accident. So, of course, uh, you know, I had to prevail upon my... Um, U.S. Senator, then our inspector of Pennsylvania, and his office intervened on my behalf. The whole thing was straightened out, and I got a list, and I went off to serve my obligation. And so, of course, I uh, just let that go by. Again, just believe it. So then, uh, as luck would have it, I became pregnant, which I was very happy to be pregnant. 
And actually, I, as with most pregnant ladies, I just uh, became ill, abruptly became ill, about, uh, I guess, two months into the pregnancy. And I knew from my experience in medical school that at two months of the pregnancy, the baby cannot be saved. That's number one. Number two, I also knew that with my symptoms, I could not be saved. So it occurred to me that death was imminent. And I decided I always wanted to be a vegetarian. And in medical school, they told me it was a deadly diet. So I said it was the perfect time to become a vegetarian. So I did. And lo and behold, 24 hours later, I felt perfectly fine uh, and had a wonderful vegetarian pregnancy. Now, this for me was uh, a real head scratcher. Like, wait a minute, they must have lied to me in medical school and they said that being vegetarian was deadly. I said, why would they do that? Then, of course, again, go back to sleep. You have the 50% that's inaccurate. Maybe they're still doing research on vegetarian diets. And so the reason I give you all these examples is, is to say that even the best of us may take several attempts to wake up. And so the way that pregnancy went was I totally didn't do anything the doctor recommended, nothing. And it was a wonderful pregnancy, easy, no problem, uncomplicated delivery. So then I went on to um, Syracuse, New York, returned to Syracuse, Purchased a city block, built a medical office building, against all advice, everyone said, don't do it. That's a bad neighborhood, you'll never make any money. But anyway, started medical practice, did very well. Um, so here I was, this vegetarian person, really feeling just awesome. And so I also noticed that white flour seemed to be a universal problem, that there did not seem to be any health benefit of eating bread. So what I did then was I developed recipes where we would use, I would use ground flax seed as, as a thickener instead of white flour. And then I realized that cheese was a problem for a lot of people, so I mixed nutritional yeast and salt with a cheese substitute. And then the egg substitute, the flax seed thickener, only using it with less water than with the white flour. And then I found that eating organic really helped people a lot. And then I noticed that people were getting better from incurable diseases like arthritis, hypertension, diabetes. I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Then I really woke up. That was a terrible, terrible, terrible condition. Oh my God. Could it be that everything I was taught in medical school was designed not so much to keep people sick, but to make them sick and make them sicker? This was a real problem. This was a problem. Uh, the other thing that happened was as I was making up these recipes to uh, help people stick to a healthy lifestyle is uh, I noticed my first year of medical practice, there were about four deaths. And everyone who died was um, taking medications exactly according to the proper dose they were perfectly diagnosed, fully diagnosed. They'd been to see the specialist, um, and everything was done absolutely properly according to medical school standards and the standards of care. And so when I started developing these recipes and writing recipes on prescription paths and giving people choices, the death rate went to zero, zero, zilch, nothing. And I said, aha, hmm. So this really got me. I was uh, asleep. I don't think I slept for at least three months. I was talking and I was saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? People, people are, they have insurance. They want the best medical care. The best care might not be medical. I don't want to kill anybody. What should I do? What, what should I do? And so um, at this point, I was... Uh, wide awake. If I decide, well, you know, people are adults, they can decide, and so I was going to give them a choice of what they want to do, what they want 
Buy it, whatever they want to do. And I found that the death rate went to zero. Death rate went to zero. Then I noticed that patients who did not have bowel movements, three days to be precise, they couldn't heal, didn't heal. And so I realized people needed to poop three times a day. I was, a, I was absolutely shocked that people who are miraculously cured just by pooping three times a day. Now, at medical school, I was clearly instructed that a bowel movement once a week is quite okay. Anything more often than that, the person is regular, and whatever the disease, the bowels are not an issue. And so I realized that was false, and that that practice, the practice of pooping once a week, would create illness in just about anybody. Then I started taking a look at the protocols. And um, the protocols, doesn't matter if the protocol is, we're always the same. Start with one drug, if it doesn't work, add another drug, if it doesn't work, add another drug. And I noticed that there are some protocols that routinely the first three drugs just simply didn't work. And so I said, well, why not just skip to drug four or five in the protocol and spare the patient the expense and side effects of drugs one through three? Lo and behold, people would finally get results with drug three or four along the protocol, and it was a lot easier, and people got results a lot quicker. Then, of course, I started developing herbal substitutes for the different drugs. And so, I realized that, that something, something was wrong. And then I had another pregnancy, second pregnancy. Actually, it's a little bit out of order. I had my second pregnancy before I opened my practice. But this pregnancy was devastating. I did everything right. I gained my usual 56 pounds. I worked as, you know, the work large, pregnant, uh, took vitamins. By this time, I was an obedient patient. I went to every single single visit except one. Meaning that one, I you know, called the doctor and said, hey, you know, I'm a little tired. So I had an unnecessary C-section, uh, of which I had complications. Then I had a second surgery, which of course was unnecessary because the first one was unnecessary, but there was complication with the abdominal abscess. Then of course, my doctor started calling me by my skin color instead of my name. At that point, I was so sick, and it was clear to me that my chances of leaving the hospital a lot was just not great. And I could have just deduced that the doctor was racist, that he was trying to kill black people, but my mind wasn't that complicated. All I knew was I was in serious danger and losing ground. And so I fired my doctor and hired a new doctor. And so the new doctor, uh, you know, did the second surgery to clear up the assets the first doctor created, and I didn't leave the hospital. Six months later, when I finally recovered enough to walk and uh, write my name, I went back to work. Now. I also moonlighted at a second job at the women's, uh, the county women's clinic. And there I met two patients who had had a C-section by this very same doctor and had the same complications that I had. So I said, aha, a pattern, three. Three makes a pattern just for you who don't know the definition of a pattern. And so it was clear, and these ladies are very thankful. They're very thankful they had such an astute doctor who detected their abdominal abscess, did the necessary surgery to fix it, and that they are alive today and they have healthy children. And so what I realized then was <laughs> the chat room is trying to guess what name the doctor called me. He called me my skin color. He called me Brown. He said, how is the brown one doing this morning? And that's when I realized that I had zero chance of getting out of the hospital lot under his care. And so while I met these two other women, both of whom were, were white, who had had the exact same experience with the same doctor, only he had apparently called them by their proper name, and they had a different story in their minds surrounding the occurrence. And it was then that I realized that People, regardless of their race and regardless of their income level, 
are at risk of being murdered by their doctor. Now, one might be murdered in a circumstance where maybe you have um, fluffier cushions, maybe the doctor addresses you in a more courteous manner, but the protocols are no less, uh, they're no less deadly. And the outcome is pretty much the same. And this was a huge, huge wake-up call for me, and I did not go back to sleep on this one. Uh, of course, I had already gone to the lawyer to see if I could sue, because this was obviously a bad thing that this doctor had done. The lawyer refused to accept the case. Now, the next thing I realized, once I met these other two women, was that I, I knew I had insurance. This doctor had gotten paid very handsomely. So he dragged out what would have been an overnight situation, just go to the hospital, have the baby go home, into a 16-day affair. So the hospital, his partner, every doctor consulted on my case, all had to know about this doctor's record. This was huge for me. And I definitely did not go back to sleep on it. So I realized that the hospital profited handsomely, in this case, it was $11,000, instead of $600. So each time this doctor told this, the hospital had huge profits from it. So what did I do? At that point, I became a staunch home birth advocate. Had my third baby at home and advocated home birth to anybody who would listen. And that was not very many people. Now, I had my third child at home unattended for the whopping cost of $250. Yes, that's the bed sheets, the receiving blankets, all the little nicks, everything you could think of buying for a home birth. I even had a little oxygen tank with a little baby mask in case you know, I needed that. So, I had no complication of this home VBAC. And this $250 was less than my deductible would have been on my insurance policy had I gone to the hospital. So this for me was such a huge wake-up call. I dropped my insurance. I, I just dropped it. And I started offering home birth as an option in my medical practice. And I advised my friends and employees to drop their health insurance and keep the money. I even offered to my employees, look, I'll just give you the cash that I would spend every month for your health insurance. Back then, I was $250, which is a lot of money back in the early 90s. But still, the bigger picture eluded me. The bigger picture eluded me. So, another wake-up call was an uneasy feeling. This is a call from my, uh, not mine, but an insurance agent. There are people out there who sell health insurance for, for a living. And... What they do is they go to a business and they say to the human resources department, uh, look, I'd like to help you buy insurances for your employees. I have any of these 20 plans. Um, we can set up a situation where your employees can pick from any of these plans and blah, 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 whatever. And then the company agrees to buy these things through him, saves them a heck of a lot of paperwork. He gets a commission and he feeds his family. These, those are people, there are people like that out there. Not to say they're good or bad, but just that they exist. So there was a guy who, this is the way he made his living. And he was married, had a couple kids. And by that time, I think I had uh, two kids. I might have had my third kid by then, but I had two kids. But we were in similar situations in life, you know, just trying to raise our family. So he called me up and he says, uh, Dr. Daniel, you know, I really hate to make this phone call, but, you know, I don't know what else to do. Uh, I'm an insurance broker, it's a health insurance. And, you know, just trying to see my family here, and everybody I call on won't buy any insurance that I have. So I, you know, can't make a living. I said, well, that's unfortunate. He said, well, yeah. And the reason they won't buy any insurance is because you are not a physician on any of the plans that I carry. And this is a real problem. I said, well, yeah, I'd like to help you out. What insurances do you carry? And he listed the different HMOs and other insurances that never paid a doctor. I said, oh, you know, I, don't, I, I can't sign up with any of those. 
And I told him, because, you know, I find out that I got to find this clause that says they can uh, demand that I provide health care to their subscribers for a full year and not pay for a full year, as long as the subscribers have paid them the insurance premium. He's like, whoa, that's no good. That doesn't make any sense. Well, you, you can't take care of your family. I said, exactly. But that's why I can't take the insurances. He said, wow, I can see why you can't help me. It's okay, yeah, yeah, figure something out. Okay. So I didn't think anything of the phone call. I thought that we had communicated well, we understood each other, and he was going to just find another way to feed his family, and I was going to continue to feed my family. Good to me. Then I got a phone call. Well, first of all, I had, had, had my baby, the third baby at home. Of course, I had a baby at home to save my life, and so I, I again, I'm still asleep, took the baby to the hospital to get uh, the heel stick to check for those uh, diseases that none of the kids have, you know, thyroid and all the other kinds of stuff, which now turns out was just a government ploy to get genetic DNA material on every human being that was born. But anyway, I was asleep. I missed that one. So I took the baby into the hospital. And the hospital vice president um, for um, finance says to me, well, you could have at least come to the hospital and just drop the baby and we would have got paid. And so here was the chief financial officer of the hospital asking me to assist him in defrauding the insurance company. Because obviously the health care was unnecessary because I just stayed at home and had the baby with no problem. And so and this is like a super nice guy and we've been friends and he's helped me get my practice going and all kinds of stuff. And so I was a little disturbed by this statement, but I just let it go by, stayed asleep, and did anything of it. Then, a few months later, I got a call from a clerk at the hospital, or actually not a clerk, but a person in the executive offices of the hospital. And the doctor, when you get a call from someone in the executive offices of the hospital, that is a call you absolutely must take and treat carefully. So, I accepted this call, and uh, the lady on the other end said, Hi, Dr. Daniels. Uh, this is Sonsa calling from Community Hospital. And I said, oh, hi, Sonsa, how are you? It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And she said, you know, we've noticed that we're not seeing many of your patients for your x-ray testing at the hospital. And we're prepared to make it easier for you to refer to the hospital whenever we have to. I said, oh, Sonsa, that's not a problem. You know, you're my favorite hospital. I send all of my people to your hospital for all of their tests. And so um, I'm not sending them anyplace else. All of my patients are going to your hospital for their tests. And she said, oh. And my heart sank because I knew that I had said the wrong thing. And she hung up the phone. And so uh, that, that I realized then, like, wait a minute, something's going on here. I'm supposed to be creating excuses for people to get laboratory tests. I'm supposed to be having people get laboratory tests that are totally unnecessary. And I'm not supposed to be giving them a choice or saying to them, you know, the standard of care says to do this laboratory test, but quite frankly, I've been doing it for five years now and it's not had one positive test so far, so if you want to do the test, that's fine, but if you don't want to, I can understand. So that was not the speech I was supposed to be giving my patients, but that was the speech I was giving so then, of course, the um, last ominous phone call that I got. So at that point, I was I was I was waking up. I was troubled. I was worried. I knew something was wrong. I didn't. I couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew something was wrong. Then came the phone call from the vice president of the largest HMO in town, and he said. Dr. Daniels, I see you have not signed our contract. Said, That's true. He said, I'm going to send a courier to your office with the contract, and I want you to sign it. He said, well, I mean, that's not possible. Uh, you know, and I told him about that fancy clause, which, of course, is in his contract. And he said, Dr. Daniels, I want you to sign the contract. I said, well, I, I won't be signing it. And he just hung up. Oh, clip. I don't know. So, uh, 
I realized then that something is wrong here. There is something I was not aware of. And of course, then the drug rep came to me visit my favorite drug rep, one who knew my children's birthdays, their, their hobbies, and, and brought them all kinds of age appropriate, hobby appropriate toys and gifts. Really, it's just incredible. And um, she came in a terrible pal, terrible pal, very upset. And I said, Well, oh, I have a buddy here. Of course, we can work this out. Well, we could not work out. Well, she took a serious cut and pay because I was not prescribing her drug anymore. And she was very, very upset about it. I said, well, you know, I've given you samples and, and a prescription, and I guess I'm, I'm not selling it. He says, well, now you're selling my competitor's prescription. That's when I realized I had a problem that I could not handle here. And so I said, well, I, I think it's time for you to, to leave because I really am not going to engage in a conversation about your competitors. And she, she stormed out and really just uh, very unsettling. You can imagine, I purchased a land which I own, I built the building which I own, and someone's going to trounce into my office and attempt to intimidate me and uh, discipline me. I'm like, hmm. And, of course, what I didn't realize is while doctors may have licenses, their true supervisors really are the drug companies and the hospitals and the insurance companies. And so all three of my supervisors had... Um, Express their displeasure with my performance in terms of aiding and abetting and adding to the bottom line. So this was a real this is a real problem. So I wasn't quite awake yet, not awake yet, until I got a letter. I got a letter from the licensing board, and the letter said, "We want the chart of ABC person." What's going on here? Of course, I call the uh, medical facility. This is why I pay my dues. I can have somebody to call and things happen. So I call the medical facility, and uh, they said, "Well, Dr. Daniel, uh, you've got to use on that chart." I said, "Well, wait a minute. Well, I, they didn't give me a signed consent form from the patient, uh, Dr. Daniel. This is not that kind of case. You have to give them that chart." I said, "Well, okay." So it took three days, and I they, I gave them the chart. He said, and, and the medical society is And you know, Dr. Jeff, it's probably all they'll want because we know you're a good doctor. So, okay, okay. <laughs> so it takes them, I think, a month or two, and they come back with, we found evidence of the uh, inappropriate practice of medicine. Oh, no, they, they, had, they found a pattern of, uh, yeah, pattern of inappropriate practice of medicine. A pattern, of course, means three cases. You can't find three cases of anything. It's one chart, there's only one chart. There you go. And so I said, okay, I need a lawyer. And I needed, I realized at that point the fix was in, and I needed the best lawyer. So I got a lawyer who was a Yale graduate and who was roommates with the assistant director of the licensing board in New York State. I said, aha, this is, this is, this is what I need. And so, One thing led to another. But the important thing to realize here was that I went from lawyer to lawyer to lawyer. Each lawyer, when they read the facts of my case, which is basically uh, patient, got better with therapy, uh, no harm done, not and well. Okay, that's, that's the broad stroke summary. They said, ah, easy beans, no problem. And after they talked to the licensing board, they were generally uh, trembling, fearful and uh, told me to get lost and kept my deposit. And one lawyer even said to me, I will give you back your deposit if you promise to never, ever mention my name again. And so I realized I had an unusual case here. And, of course, again, I grew up in the 60s, the civil rights movement. And so I thought laws were evenly enforced. And after all, the civil rights movement in the 60s, the government had to follow the laws when it came to blacks. And in the past, when I was still, the government tried to harass me a little bit, like with that, um, trying to extort $250,000 from me, all it took was a few phone calls, you know, and took care of it. And so I thought this would be, hopefully, along the same line. Well, it wasn't. So the government broke many laws. There's supposedly you can't investigate any case where the patient gets better with therapy. That broke that law. Whenever you have a hearing, you have to allow the patient's charge of evidence. 
They refused to allow the patients to try to blend And it broke that law. And it went on and on. Oh, oh, my final sentence, which was a lifetime suspension of my license. They only allowed a suspension for three years. And then, of course, at that time, they could not state it, but they could only initially suspend it for three years. So they broke that law. So there's a whole list of laws, actually six that they broke. I'm like, oh, boy. So now I was getting wide awake, wide awake. And Google Maps, please. So I must have done this. I said, you know, can't we work this out? Can't we, is there a plea bargain here somewhere? Or, no, you know, figure out what I did wrong, and maybe I could uh, not do it wrong anymore. We just go back to sleep and just kind of smooth things over here. There was no going back to sleep. The government said, no, there will be no discussion. There will be no plea bargain. Will, you are done. And so, uh, I woke up. That's it. I woke up. I could not go back to sleep. It's like being born and the baby's trying to crawl back into the womb. There just wasn't anything to go back to. Uh, you know, in the case of the baby, once the baby gets born, uh, the placenta is spit out, the uterus contracts and shrinks up. There is no going back. And so that's what happens. Incredible, abrupt awakening with no going back. So then I was left to try and figure out what I had done wrong. And throughout the whole ordeal, which lasted, let's see, I don't say six years. Yeah, six years. Uh, first, uh, finally I got, I got a lawyer who was the lawyer for the um, politician. So he only decided to be guilty. And he was really good. He said, look, Dr. Daniels, you probably killed a few patients. It's not a problem. We can fix it. I said, oh, my God, you think I killed somebody? Ah, don't worry, every doctor does it. I said, oh, my God, well, how would I find out who I killed? Because you know, everyone I knew in my practice was alive. I didn't know anybody who got me. So he, says, he, so he told me that every hospital keeps a secret file. This is the name of the file. This is the name of the secret department in every hospital you go to. And sure enough, he was right. I went to every single hospital. It's only three. And I went to the secret department, I asked the secret department, and they raised their eyebrows and called security and come into the secret department was. Of course, security was right outside the door. And then I asked for my secret file, and they went through a whole big rigmarole. But every place I went to, there was nothing in my secret file. It was clean as a whistle. So I said, I should have gone back to the lawyer if I didn't. I said, you know what? I'm not guilty. You can't possibly help me. So uh, it was just the beginning of an incredible, abrupt uh, wake-up call. Um, you know, I had believed that my family liked me why just because I was Jennifer. And it, it, it took them about five years of me not having a license before the um, respect I was accustomed to evaporated. Uh, then... You know, all of these things uh, started happening in my life. And then I finally had to say, at least I have children. At least my children don't know how far I've fallen, so to speak. And then my mother decided she would educate my children and tell them how stupid I was to have lost the license. So it was a really just absolutely, totally traumatic process. And um, people would say things to me like, uh, well, you know, you can go back to school and become a naturopathic doctor. You could do this, you could do that. The idea of going back to school for four years, I just scratched my head and made no sense. And then a license, well, I, could, I mean, if they can take a license away like that, they can take any kind of license. I don't need a license. And so at that point, then 9-11 happened. Actually, 9-11 happened uh, earlier, but 9-11 happened in the midst of the whole process. And then I decided, okay, I know. I'll do what Dad said. I'll start my own business, do my own thing, be my own boss, and just strike out on my own. So that entailed, of course, meeting people, trying to figure out the lay of the land was and what kind of business I might want to start. So you get on planes for that, only to find I was on the terrorist watch list. So if you don't know, you get four big capital S's on the ticket, and they take you aside for special uh, humiliation and mistreatment. And so I couldn't fly because I was on the terrorist watch list. And the thing is, they always, as they're harassing you, ask you, you want to go in the back room. And this is worse than going to the um, principal's office when you're in school. So 
of course, I don't always say, no, not the back room. I will strip nude right here in public for all to see, but not the back room. Um, I never got, got to the back room. Then I was getting, getting letters from the, from the government saying, I'm going to do nothing for them. And when I got on one list, I said, ah, no problem, I can, I can work around this. I got a second letter, after the second do not employ this, I was like, ah, I don't think I can work around this. So I was prohibited from employment any place in the government with, and with any company that had a contract with a government and from any company that accepted funds or money from the government. And it was just overwhelming to even attempt to uh, put together a resume and even float it to somebody or even share it. And so finally I realized uh, as they were passing the Patriot Act and more things, that I was so uncomfortable um, being on a terrorist watch list, being unable to lie, unable to work, and, and seeing my net worth just plummet. I mean, just plummet on the rocks. Um, and I decided I needed another country when I left the country. And it only took uh, about a month for me to at least be able to sleep at night, which is really good. I was able to sleep at night. And little bit by little bit, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to do what, what I, what I want to do, what I enjoy doing. And it did not pay very well at all, I want you to know. And so then I started the radio show. And once I started the radio show, uh, well, actually what happened was I met a marketer, an internet marketer down here in Canada. And so we got to talking and he uh, figured out, he says, well, you know, you got anything that works? Any miraculous cure for anything? I said, yeah, sure. I got a bottle of turpentine. And I said, it works great. It, it cures pain, cures this, cures that, everything. And... Uh, he had had a girlfriend who was in pain all the time. So he put some turpentine on one of the painful spots, and boom, a minute later, the pain was gone, and she said, oh, my God, all my pain is gone. And so, of course, he said, no, it can't be, it didn't work. He said, yes, 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 it's gone. And so then we got together, we did a bit of marketing, and uh, the candy cleaner was born. So I did the writing, he did the marketing. And that kind of kicked off, kicked the ball off. And then I started a radio show, and now I'm uh, very happy living in a place that's warm, um, doing research, waking myself up every day, finding out more and more things. Um, and these are things that I didn't have time to investigate when I was working as a doctor because I was just too busy working. And so now that is my work, is investigating these things, uncovering these things, and um, bringing them to light. And so what's happened that, oh, I met somebody and got married. Can you believe that? So at the age of 51, I got married. So what I'm saying then is it's difficult for anyone to wake up. Waking up is difficult, period. And uh, once you actually wake up, I would recommend waking up as often as possible. Now, whenever you get information that uh, you, you may realize, well, well, this is uh, the problem over here, embrace it. Go ahead. Wake up. You'll be uncomfortable for a few minutes or months, maybe even a few years. But things will adjust. And when I became vegetarian, my family was very upset about it. But hey, I compromised. I said, you know, guys, I'm not eating meat, but I'll make the roast for every single holiday. You know, I'll make the leg of lamb, I'll make the standing rib roast, I'll make the crown roast. No problem, as long as I don't have to eat it. And so people were very, very grateful. And so the moral of the story is, in order for you to wake up, you have to be very kind and nice and great for those who are still asleep. So if you let people who are asleep continue to sleep, then they will let you wake up and even facilitate your awakening. So it's just a, uh, a two-way street. And remember, you would love to sleep. And so how would you like to be treated? So we have a few minutes for questions. If you have questions and you're on the phone, you can click uh, number one. And if you're in the chat room and you have a question, um, we'll answer that. Oh, lots of questions in the chat room. Let me find... Okay, 
We have a question on the line. Uh -oh. Hi, what's your question? Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, I'm calling because I actually wanted to advise. I'm a 29-year-old mother. I just had a baby. She's four months now. And I mm -hmm. had complications through the entire pregnancy with preeclampsia. Um, mm -hmm. During the beginning of the pregnancy, they asked me to terminate the pregnancy. And I refused and I continued but was put on bed rest. Um, after I had her, my body completely, like, crashed. And my mm -hmm. blood pressure was in the 200s and stayed that way for about four days. They had me on mm -hmm. magnesium, and they had me on several different types of um, blood pressure medication. So what's going on right now? now? Right now, right now, what's going on? Um, well, basically, right now, my blood pressure has spikes. Um, recently, when I checked it about a few weeks ago, it was 200 over, I think, 130. Um, ah, okay. I do have some symptoms as uh, my vision once in a while. It gets a little off, um, blurry, and I do have ringing in the ear periodically. Um, okay, so we have four minutes I, left. We have four minutes left. It's four minutes left. So, basically, what you need to understand is your hypertension right now is just like anybody else's hypertension. And so your solution, is, from a natural perspective, would be there's a lot of work you've got to do with your diet. If your baby's four months old, you might still be breastfeeding. And so yes, there may be some, right, so maybe some herbs that would help your blood pressure that might not be compatible with breastfeeding. So the best way to really kind of drill down and sort through this would be to go to the website, which is drgenniferdanis.com, and to um, click on the discovery section link to kind of go deeper. But there's a lot going on here. There's something going on during your pregnancy in terms of dietary slash lifestyle things. Whatever it is, um, it's still going on now. And so it would take an extensive review of quite a few things, in other words, more than three minutes, in order to get to the bottom of it. So that, that would be the way, the best way to, to get at what's going on. And also, ultimately, it sounds like what you're looking for is a solution that's compatible with motherhood. So that requires personalized tailoring, which really can't be done, you know, ad hoc or just kind of off the cuff. So that would be the best, the best um, thing um, for you to do. All right, we're going to go and we're going to check out the chat room. There's a lot of questions in the chat room. Okay, vegetarian with or without salt and added fast oil. Okay, so vegetarian should be definitely uh, salt to taste, uh, very few added fats. Does one's body reset during a water fast? Answer is yes if you do it properly. Uh, a coworker getting strong on by her doctor's office because she missed a well child visit. Okay, she needs to switch doctors and keep switching doctors, and that way she can potentially put off this well child visit. Purpose of well child business is to make your child sick. Okay. <laughs> I think Dr. Dennis is the only doctor I like. <laughs> All right. I can't get asthma medication. Seeing a doctor every six months. I don't understand that. I wonder if the clinic will try to build some kind of case where the child is not being properly cared for. Absolutely, they will. I had a patient like that. I had to go to court. Um, to get the child, help the parents get the child out of child protective. It's a real nightmare. You really want to hurry up and change doctors frequently and often, and eventually get your get your kid off off the radar. All right, that's it for questions. End of uh, today's episode. We will see you next week at Healing with Dr. Daniels, and we got a great show planned for next week. Let me see if I can. Next week is the city mouse and the country mouse and why you should not settle for less. All right, so we'll see you next week. And I have this little button here that I'm going to push. Here we are. Okay.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.